The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, I need to first, before we dive into the Word of God this morning, address an order of business, um, family business. Uh, we have a annual church business meeting, family business meeting coming up in two weeks. So the 24th on Sunday, invite you to get here a little bit before Sunday school at about 940. Uh, we will meet in this room after the conclusion of the first service, and we will hold our annual business meeting. In that meeting, we will uh, propose and vote upon the upcoming uh, ministry budget. Uh, as you're exiting this morning, uh, there is a copy of the proposed budget there for 2023-2024 in the foyer on the entry table. I encourage you, uh, grab a copy of that budget on your way out. Uh, look it over if you have any questions uh, at all about the budget. We are going to have two question and answer sessions. So you can come out this Wednesday night, eat dinner a little bit early, and then at 6 o'clock make your way down the hallway to the first big room on your right. I believe it's the third door. Uh, on the right, now in the education hallway, uh, we'll be in there, myself, Pastor Scott, uh, our treasurer, a couple of people, people from the finance team. If you have any questions at all, uh, you can come at 6 o'clock this Wednesday or next Wednesday. We'll have another opportunity for a question and answer also on that, and then we will be bringing it to vote uh, on our meeting at the 24th uh, for our annual meeting. You may have noticed in your bulletin over the past number of months uh, really since January, when, thank the Lord, we paid off our mortgage, uh, that we had a mortgage payment, uh, it was worked into our budget to cover that payment, you may have noticed that that line item in the bulletin changed from uh, mortgage payment, or I think it was still labeled bu uh, building fund, actually, but it went to the mortgage payment, to still being there as the building fund and accumulating month by month. Uh, what we determined to do back in January was put the... Um, payment that was going towards the mortgage payment, it, uh, just pay it to ourselves into the building fund uh, for what I'm about to propose to you this morning. I, I know it's easy when you grow accustomed to something, whether that's your house and things at your house or whether that's at the church house, things in the church. Familiarity with something often leads us to not see things as a newer person coming into your house or coming into the church house might see things. Our church sanctuary, this building that we are in right now, has served Trinity Baptist extremely well. Okay, we, goodness, it was built almost 40 years ago. Can you believe that? 40 years ago, some of the men that were a part of that original crew that were here at Trinity Baptist Church literally worked with their own sweat, their own hands, and hung the, the big rafters you see and built this building. We're a big part of building this building uh, that we are in currently. It was the first building that was built here. They had a great vision for the future, a great vision for the work God would do through Trinity Baptist Church. Um, it has served us extremely well as it is, as it's been so well taken care of, and as it's, uh, goodness, through the people that clean it and, and the maintenance that's been done on it, it has been a blessing. But as we look around this morning, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of items that are in need of updating, in need of remodeling. If you look up first at the lights, and you get blinded by all the bright gymnasium lights, you'll notice those lights aren't really sanctuary lighting systems that's up there. It was originally designed as a multi-purpose room. 
before we had the fellowship hall, before we had the basketball courts, before we had the fields and all back there. It's why it's flat floored even, but the lights were never really designed specifically for a sanctuary. Um, one of the things that I hope we can accomplish in the year to come is new a uh, new lighting system that will provide better sanctuary lighting as well as better stage lighting. Uh, we go down a little bit and we see the window blinds that have been up there that do a great job of blocking the bright sunlight that comes in. But I'd like to let's, let's update a little bit the cosmetic just face of our sanctuary. Um, the paneling on the side, the mustard-colored uh, little sound panels, just putting a new color on those things would make it look a whole lot more modern. And then the beautiful wood paneling that reminds me of my childhood. Um, easy changes, some easy things that we can do to cosmetically provide a facelift in our sanctuary. Uh, the carpet is been well taken care of, but it is starting to show its age. There's some tears here and there. If you look, there's some stains. There's some wrinkles where it's wrinkled up. The pews, there's some that are falling apart. There's some that are peeling on the edges. There's some fabric stains and tears in some of the fabric. All of this just to point out some cosmetic issues that maintenance has taken care of to the best of our ability, but it's getting to a point in the age, coming up on 40 years. Some of this has been replaced since then, but it's been a long while ago. That we're in need of, of doing a little cosmetic facelift to the sanctuary, to our foyer. If you look at our foyer coming in, there's some need for a touch-up there. If you walk outside and turn back and look at the church building, you'll notice the paint is getting chalky and sort of chalking off in some places. We really need to paint the whole exterior facility, including the basketball court where the columns there, those metal beams are starting to rust and need to be taken care of before it becomes an issue. And then one more big item is our roof that's above our heads right now, the shingle roof. Uh, was put on in 2008, and so it's getting to be 15 years of age, uh, getting to that point within the next three to five years that it will need to be replaced. Also, all of that to tally up to a, a fairly large number, but not an unreasonable number, uh, estimate the project with everything that we've talked about, and a couple more smaller items will be around 600000 uh, That's sort of the goal that I'm putting before you. If you look at our bulletin, you'll see that we have $200,000 already in our building fund from what's been put in there in this past year. We've got about $100,000 of overages this year. In our, bull, or in our proposed budget for the upcoming year, we've got $190,000 in that budget. If you look to what used to be the mortgage payment, it's now the building fund that will be going towards this project. And what I want to also ask of you is if you're able... So many of you gave so sacrificially and generously to get our mortgage paid off as quickly as we did. Um, if you're able, God's blessed you with the means to do so, and you want to give a little bit more um, and give it specifically to the building fund, uh, I encourage you to do so. Uh, my, my goal is that even come the start of the next year, of the new year, we'll start tackling little projects. And so I ask for your patience as we do that. But there may be a Sunday that you can't come into the foyer because that's being redone and you need to come in here or here. Or there may be a Sunday where this hallway is just, you know, being redone or whatever it is that the project is at the time. Just know, hey, we're doing a little cosmetic facelift to everything. Have patience with it. I'm sure there will come a time in this project where we'll have to be very uncomfortable and go meet in the air-conditioned fellowship hall um, and, and do maybe a couple of, of services over there uh, while things are being done in this sanctuary. But all of this to say... I think it is time as we look at, at the facility here that God's blessed us with to just do a little cosmetic facelift to it. And uh, first year at seminary, I can remember going into a Bible class, a theology class, and 
professor, all of these guys are brainiacs up at Southern Seminary and mentioning, you know, part of a church sanctuary and worship that we are spatio-temporal beings. I said, say what? Hold on, I'm from Keystone to find that for me. Thankfully, I didn't have to be the, the goof that asked the question out loud. I typed it into my computer and Google, like, what does spatio mean? And temporal, what does he mean by that? It means we're space and time people, beings. We exist in space and time. And where we are in space and time has an influence, has an effect on us. You know, there's something when you go to the lake and you see the sunset that you're captivated by the beauty of it and it leads you, it should, Christian, leads you to worship God and glorify God through the grandness of the revelation of of just the beauty of His handiwork and creation. Uh, But there's also something when we come into a church house. Uh, There's a whole movement all through even the, you think of the church history and so many beautiful cathedrals that have been built is much of that a waste to some degree, but then in one sense also there's something about walking into uh, an atmosphere that calls us to worship God, that, that calls us to the splendor and the majesty and the beauty of God. And so even as we come into here and to a sanctuary, it ought to be a place where God is exalted in just by even the appearance of it, um, that it calls us and leads us to the beauty, to the, the grandeur of, of who the God is that we worship. And so it is a fitting thing. We take care of our houses. We keep them nice. It's a fitting thing um, to take care of the Lord's house. And again, it is time, I think, that we we go down this road of of doing just a a cosmetic facelift to our structure uh, that I think will will be greatly beneficial in our worship of the Lord. If you have any questions about that, uh, as the process unfolds more, we'll bring more information before you. Um, But just wanted to put that before you now and say, feel free, come and ask me, Pastor Scott. Any questions you might have as we begin navigating the road toward that end. Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. I didn't think I would ever come across a a subject that would be more dreaded than the subject of giving. A lot of people, and they're like, oh, Baptist church, all the preacher ever does about giving, and you always sense that, feel that as a preacher when the subject of giving comes up, as it did a couple of weeks ago, but I think this one may be even more disliked and more misunderstood than that of giving, and that is the subject of fasting, the subject of the Christian discipline, the Christian practice of fasting. Jesus, since the beginning of chapter 6, has been confronting us with this truth that you can look religious in the eyes of people and yet not be righteous in the eyes of God. That that you can put on a show and have these religious things that you do and everybody looking at you might think that, goodness, you're a godly person and yet the truth might be that you are far, far away from God. That God looks and He doesn't just see the external appearance. That when God looks, He sees the heart. He sees even the motivation behind the action. Even when it's a good action, the the heart motivation could be very, very misguided, very wrong in the eyes of God. And and the wrong heart motivation that Jesus specifically is addressing is that of the pride and the fear of man. That of doing what you do simply to earn the respect of others and you're not really doing it for the Lord. And he's addressing the Pharisees and specifically he calls them hypocrites doing what they did only to be seen by people and to earn the praise of people, all the while God is not the object of their worship, not the true motivation of their heart to bring Him glory. And he, He says, you've got your reward 
when you do things for the praise of men. God doesn't honor that. God doesn't answer that. He addresses the three primary religious works in that day and age of, of giving, of praying, and of fasting. And we've looked to, to praying and his teaching on praying last week and the week before. We looked to giving. And now this teaching on fasting really parallels the exact same instruction that when you fast, you're not to make a spectacle of it. You're not to do it to earn the praise of people. You're to do it in secret. You're to do it in secret before the Lord, and the Lord who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's read verse 16, chapter 6 through verse 18 this morning. Moreover, Jesus says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. If you're honest, I would venture to say there's probably very few, if any, in here that I could say, have you fasted within the past month? Maybe maybe some of you do. But for general purposes, general knowledge of everything, and I can tell you even a confession as your pastor, I don't practice the spiritual discipline of fasting as the Lord has convicted me. I ought to be practicing it after looking to His Word this week. Um, It is something that has become a forgotten Christian practice in our day and age, even a taboo to some degree where we we have put it over in the corner with like radical extreme Christianity, not not a normal practice of regular believers. we've, we've, We've removed ourselves from it in a way where none of us have ever even felt obligated for the most part to ever to ever fast. And because it's so far removed, we're really confused about what it even is or why we ought to even do it or how we should go about it. I want you to notice that Jesus, when speaking here, he assumes that his followers would be people who went about the business of fasting, who fasted during their lifetime. He addresses it when you fast, just as he did when you pray, just as he did when you give, that it was his expectation that his followers would be people who gave, people who prayed, and people who fasted. Now, his teaching is verbatim almost the same for each of these three religious works, that you're not to do it to make a spectacle out of it. The Pharisees would would cover their face in such a way that whether it was with ash or or whatever they disfigured their face with, they they wouldn't they wouldn't anoint their head with oil and wash their face. They would they would give all these signs fasting. You know, I am favored of God as I fast before Him. God's going to bless me and work for me because I'm. He, they'd let everybody know, and they were doing it to be seen of people. And Jesus says the same thing he told them about prayer and the way that they pray, the same way that they give just to be seen. No, you've got your reward when you do it that way. Jesus says, when you fast, go about your regular business. Wash your face and anoint your head. Take a shower and put your deodorant on. Go about your normal life. And fast in secret before the Lord. Don't make a public spectacle out of it. And those that and, and God who sees in secret will reward you openly. That is the sort of, of fasting that honors the Lord. Now, as I've said, it's become so foreign to us that we don't understand even what fasting is and why we ought to fast and, and how we ought to fast. What I want to do this morning 
just really quickly, even navigating through a lot of information in a short amount of time, I want to just give you a biblical overview of fasting. Because it's so foreign to us, not many of us understand it biblically. Not many of us understand what it even is and why we ought to do it and how we ought to do it. And so I want to address those three questions. What it is, why we ought to do it, and then give some real practical tips on how we ought to do it. Now, this is not all original content from me. Um, I encourage you to read a book by Donald Whitney called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. I encourage you to listen to a sermon on this subject by David Guzik. Uh, the last point, really, those ten practical steps to how we should fast come almost directly from him. And so this isn't original content, but this is a great biblical overview that I want to give to you over what fasting is, why we ought to be doing it, even now as a believer living in this day and age, and then how, if we really are led to do it, how should we go about doing it? I am not one that normally says you need to take notes. Um, I take some notes, but I find it's also great to pay attention and to let what is being spoken in a sermon come into your heart and shape and mold you in the moment. However, with this sermon, I would encourage you to take notes. We will move quickly and we will cover a, a, a large amount of information that we're going to dive very shallow into. Normally, I take a narrow bit and I dive deep. We're going to take a very shallow bit and wide instead of, instead of narrow and deep this morning. And so with that, I am going to have a, a lot of information on the screen. Maybe you take notes and a notepad. Maybe you have a phone that you're taking notes. Or maybe you just pull up your camera. And when all the points get up there on each slide, just take a picture of that. But my goal is that you would take this information and that you would really think about it and pray about it. And Lord willing, I pray, apply it even in your life in the days that are to come. And so first, we're going to answer the question, what is fasting? The word fast literally means to not eat. It means to not eat. That's what the word means, literally, if you were to break the word apart. It is, to give you a great definition, voluntarily going without food for a period of time in order to focus upon a greater spiritual purpose. Now that is Christian fasting, biblical fasting. It is to go without food. Yes, that means to go without food, to not eat for a period of time, voluntarily, a set period of time, in order that in that experience of even denying the hunger cravings of your own body, you're, you're going to focus your soul, your heart, your mind on a greater spiritual truth, reality, need. In our day and age, I've heard the word fasting a whole lot of things. Like some people have talked about fasting from the internet, or fasting from social media, or fasting from television, or fasting from fill in the blank, or a certain section of food, types of food. So I'm going to fast from sugar. Now, I, I say that's great, that's good. Any sort of self-discipline where, especially if something is a, a temptation or a sin, especially in your life, that you, you through self-discipline, say, I will not do this, and I, I will spend that time rather in focusing upon the Lord and praying to the Lord. I commend you in that. That is an awesome thing. That is great for your spiritual walk with the Lord. Good. However... 
When the Bible speaks of fasting, it does specifically apply to, to, to fasting from food. It literally means to not eat. It's not dealing with any other desire uh, apart from that desire and even physical necessity of, of bread, of food, of substance. And so to use the word fasting to apply to all of those other things, sure, somewhat okay, but really what I want to speak about is biblical fasting, meaning I am going to going to voluntarily not eat for a time frame in order that why that I may declare even in my own heart that, that I need God more than I need even the food that I must survive off of physically in order that I may let the natural hunger cravings of of my my flesh as they become stronger and stronger draw me and compel me and push me to a greater hunger for God and for the things of God and for the intervention of God, for the wisdom of God, for, for the guidance of God, for, for the worship of God. It's a, a segment that you designate where you declare in this fast, God, you are worth more to me than all of these physical things that are around me. God, there is a spiritual realm that is above and beyond everything that is physical around us. I think part of the reason why fasting has become so uncommon and foreign to us is that we are such a consumeristically driven culture. And we have enjoyed, in a right way, so many blessings from God and comforts from God and the abundance of food that we enjoy so much of that that we've forgotten that there is a place that we say none of this really matters in comparison to God. That there's a time and a place to take a segment, a short, even just afternoon or a day or, or even a, a couple of days where we say, I'm not going to even eat. And I'm going to, in the pangs of, of hunger, direct my will and my heart and my attention to God to declare forth, God, you are worth more to me than food itself. God, this, this burden upon my heart, it, it is... I'm bringing it before you in a way that I desire your work and I desire your will and your way in it even more than I desire to satisfy my natural desire and craving for food right now. It is a little bit extreme for our day and age especially, but it's what God calls us to in fasting. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Through fasting, you declare that. God, I am not bound in my life by satisfying my own desires. Your will is above my desires. I, will, I realize I don't live by bread alone. I live by every word that comes from your mouth. And so for this short moment, I'm going to deny the longings of the flesh, even the natural longings of eating food. Because I want to focus my heart upon you. And I want to declare forth your worth, your value. That God, you mean more to me than all of these things. Only one time in the Old Testament is a regulated fast commanded. And that was on the Day of Atonement. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the people of Israel were to fast before the Lord. The Day of Atonement being that day where where God would provide through that sacrifice an atonement for the sins of the people. 
It, it was a fast to draw them to the understanding we're sinners in need of God's forgiveness and His redemption and God and His grace has provided an atoning sacrifice. It was meant to draw people away from the normal practice of every day to a, a one-day uh, focus of, of great, just great focus upon God's love and grace and mercy to forgive and redeem them. Throughout the Old Testament, we see a number of fasts that are all connected to an urgent or difficult need and situation. And we'll look through a number of those in just a minute. That fasting is often connected with prayer over uh, a difficult situation. And so it is not commonly regulated as much as it is tied together with those seasons of great sorrow, those seasons of great trial, those seasons of great difficulty that life is so often filled with. That is what fasting is. Let's look to why. I want to give you ten reasons why. And I'll put them up on the screen as we go along. Again, encourage you to take a picture. Think about these more deeply. We're going to go through them quickly. Why fast? One reason is to strengthen your prayers. To strengthen your prayer. Ezra chapter 8 and verse 23. Ezra is praying to God about making a journey back to Jerusalem with a group of people. And it was a difficult, dangerous journey. He is seeking the favor of God in it, the blessing of God, the protection of God. And as he is praying, it says in Ezra 8 and verse 23, so we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. They fasted and entreated God. It's combined with prayer to direct even our hearts to pray more passionately, to pray with more focus, to pray with more fervency to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 17, you know the story, hopefully, the disciples were trying to, to cast out an evil spirit and they were unable to. Jesus thankfully comes up and Jesus is able to remove the evil spirit, but the disciples are a little confused. God, why couldn't we cast this evil spirit out? They asked him, Jesus, why? And Jesus responded, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. That prayer is tied in with fasting. Fasting even gives a, a greater devotion, a greater focus, a greater strength to the prayers that we are praying. I like what Donald Whitney has to say regarding prayer or fasting not being a hunger strike. Like, it's not that we're going on a hunger strike like my kids do when they're at the dinner table and they don't want to eat the broccoli that's there before them. And oh, we're not going to eat any, we're not going to eat. No, that's being a little snotty brat. It's not that we're brats before God and we're saying, God, I'm just not going to eat anything until you give me my way, until you answer my prayer. No, that's not what fasting is. Fasting, uh, Donald Whitney continues, says, doesn't change God's hearing as much as it does our praying. Fasting is what helps us in our, our praying to focus more intently. And even in the experience of the hunger that we're, we're naturally experiencing, the pain even of that hunger, to spend that time that we would be eating in that moment, letting those pangs drive us even more, more, more devotedly to God. To, to, to let that tension, that difficulty even in our life, direct us to God in a way that, that only occurs when you're going through something like that. You go to God in a different way when you're a little distraught. You go to God in a different way when you recognize just how finite and limited and broken you are. A fast strengthens our prayers. 
second reason. We fast to seek God's guidance. Judges chapter 20 and verse 11. Um, Judges chapter 20, just quickly summarize the story. The 11 tribes of Israel are coming up to battle against the 12th tribe, Benjamin, uh, because Benjamin, the people of Benjamin, had done a very wicked, atrocious deed and needed to be corrected. And so war is broken out in the tribes of Israel. The 11 tribes go up against um, Benjamin. They sought the Lord, and then they went into battle, and they lost majorly. Some 22,000 men died. The second day, it says they prayed with tears before the Lord. They went to battle the second day. They lost the battle again. And so by the end of this second battle, they were at wit's end. They were distraught. They were getting hopeless on being able to defeat Benjamin. And it says that on that second evening before the third day, after losing that battle, that they prayed with tears, and then they fasted that day until evening. But they fasted before the Lord, and in response to the fast... God answered them, made his will clear. He said, go for tomorrow, I will deliver them into your hands. And he did so. But it was only after prayer and fasting that the Lord gave to Israel the victory. Prayer and fasting is a way of of seeking the will of God in your life, the guidance of God in your life. When it comes to those big forks in the road in your life and you're praying about something very serious, something that's a a big life-altering decision especially, it it, it is fitting for the Christian to say, you know what, I'm going to spend a day fasting over this before the Lord, that God would give me His guidance and His direction to navigate me in the way that He would desire for me to go. A third reason, to express grief. To express grief and sorrow. 1 Samuel 31 and verse 13, David and his men, after the burial of King Saul, it says that they fasted for seven days. If you know the backstory to that, it's an amazing tribute to the character of the man David. King Saul sought his life on a number of occasions, but David, knowing this is God's anointed, the king of Israel, upon his death, was grieved, was moved to sorrow in a fitting response and grief and sorrow in directing grief and hope to the Lord even is to fast before the Lord. David fasted. There in his grief, it is right and fitting that when we face times of grief and sorrow in our life, that we turn to the Lord and we fast before him. A fourth reason, to seek deliverance or protection. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, had a great army coming up against Jerusalem that there was no way they could defeat. And what did he do? He declared a time of fasting for the entire city of Jerusalem. They were to fast and turn before the Lord to desire to pray for the the protection, the deliverance of God. Esther, chapter 4 and verse 16. Queen Esther is being asked by Mordecai to go into the king's presence, the king's court, uninvited. If you know anything about that culture, that could have led to her beheading. You just didn't enter the king's court unless you were invited, even if you were the king or the queen. And so Queen Esther, being asked this, responded to Mordecai and said, this is what's going to happen. Mordecai, I want you to fast for three days and three nights, and I want you to have all of the Jews that you can notify, have them fast for three days and three nights. And after the end of this fast, I'm going to go in and see what old King Xerxes is going to say when I ask him to provide protection for the Jews that were coming under attack. Uh, They fasted in order to seek deliverance and protection. A fifth reason, to express repentance and return to God. To express repentance, to show in a demonstrable way, Lord, I truly am grieved over my sin and I'm sorry over it. 
I know it was wrong before you, and I don't want to do it again. God, please forgive me. God, please deliver me. We see this all over the Old Testament. I'll give you just a few verses. 1 Samuel 7, 6 and Joel 2, 12. Um, specifically dealing with Israel and their sin. One was an example of them repenting through uh, fasting. The other is a call to repentance and fasting. Uh, Jonah chapter 3 would be one of the more famous examples. The entire city of Nineveh repented before the Lord, and they did so through fasting. There was a, a city-wide fast that was declared an expression of their repentance and return to the Lord. You fast, sixth reason, to humble yourself before the Lord. Psalm chapter 35 and verse 13. King David, it says, humbled himself before the Lord through fasting. That through fasting we we become all the more aware of the fact that we are not gods in and of ourselves. Like we need food to survive. If we don't get food, we get hungry. And it reminds us we're finite, limited people. God is the infinite, eternal God. It's a way of humbling ourselves before the Lord as we, we worship Him and even pray to Him through fasting. You can take a picture there of those six, and we'll move on to the seventh. To express concern for the work of God. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Nehemiah heard word of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been torn down uh, hundreds of years before. The people of God are returning to Jerusalem, but there's no wall to defend the city by. Um, The people of Jerusalem were being robbed and plundered daily. And when he heard about the condition of this city of God, his heart was grieved, his heart was burdened for the work of God. And what did he do? He, he fasted to God Almighty, it says. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Nehemiah mourned and prayed and fasted before the God of heaven. An eighth reason to minister to the needs of others. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 58, really 1 through 7, is the longest portion of Scripture on the subject of fasting. Um, God is condemning those who were fasting, His people who were fasting, and they were complaining, God, we're fasting, why don't you hear our prayers? God is actually condemning them because they, they, they would fast, but then they were living their life any way they wanted to live it. And they were mistreating the poor, and they were acting in ungodly ways in their living and thinking just because they fasted, they should get the blessing of God. And God's telling them, no, that's not the fasting that I desire. That's not the fasting that pleases me. And then God says these words, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. The, the, the motivation of our, our fasting ought not to merely be for our own self-benefit. But fasting ought to be done primarily even for the needs of others. A focus upon being a blessing to the needs of people all around us. Not only in your fasting can you direct your prayers to the needs of others, but even in your fasting you can let your fasting be a means of being a blessing to the needs of other people. So what do I mean by that? Some people say, man, I'd love to give, but I just don't have a lot of money to give to those that are in need. Well, if you fast for a day, and if you buy your McDonald's whatever in the morning and this at lunch and that at dinner, you've saved, uh, you 
what, ten bucks a meal. You, you've got some money. You, you can be a blessing financially to a person in need through your fasting. If you're a person that's, I'm just too busy to be a blessing to somebody, and you, you, you take that time that you would have spent at lunch or the time you would have spent at supper time, and you actually go and, and help an older person who needed help with this or what, whatever the need may be, you can use the time that you would have spent eating to be a blessing to another person. There's just some practical ways where Isaiah 58 can be worked through in your own life through your own fasting to minister to the needs of others. A ninth reason to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. Matthew chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ, before His temptation, He did what? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know anybody who's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's almost in the supernatural category. I'd say that was God's work through His Spirit and His Son. But nonetheless, an example is set there for us to fast in preparation for the temptations that Satan sets before us. Um, fasting is a means of battling temptation. You know, I have never in counseling situations recommended counsel, uh, recommended fasting before uh, to a person who says, you know, man, there's this, there's this sin that I keep falling into and I'm trying to battle it. And, you know, I know it's wrong. I've confessed it before God, but it gets thrown before me again and I, I can't find can't find the way out. I keep falling back into it. I, I think from now on I will recommend this. I'll ask, have you fasted over this? Like fasting is a way of saying, God, you mean more to me than than even right desires that, that are natural, much less wrong desires. God, keep me from temptation. Fasting is used for such purposes to to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. And then lastly, number 10, and you can take a picture up there on the screen of it, to express love and worship to God. Luke chapter 2, a lady named Anna in verse 37, it says of her, and this woman was a widow about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Fasting and prayers night and day. It's a means of just worshiping God. Saying, God, you do mean more to me than anything in life demonstrating that even by just this little season, this little time, that I am experiencing the cravings and hunger and letting those not be fulfilled, but letting those drive me to you, God, in prayer and in worship of you. Those are some reasons why we ought to fast. I want to close real quickly just walking through ten practical steps to how you ought to fast, some considerations. First of all, plan your fast. Don't just say, I'm going to fast and I don't know how long it'll be. No, no, plan your, your fast. Set a goal because if you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to fast for as long as possible by lunchtime, you're, you're going to be breaking that fast and eating. It's good to set a goal and say, no, I'm going to fast for um, the morning time or for the day or for a 24-hour period. Tell anyone who needs to know about it. Um, if you're married and you're spouse normally cooks dinner, don't wait until she's done cooking to say, oh, I'm fasting today, I'm not going to eat. What? No, be considerate of other people in your life and the way that you live in relationship with other people. Um, let those who need to know, know about it. Don't set too high of an expectation during the fast. Some people think that as you fast, you're going to feel this you know, supernatural spiritual high, and it's going to just be like the angels are singing all around you as you're fasting, and, and what ends up happening is all you really feel is hungry. <laughs> you're thinking like, this is awful. I can't believe that God said I ought to do this. I'm just starving to death right now. Uh, 
most of us don't know what starving to death is, but that's beside the point. You're not going to just get this supernatural high. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And it's meant to, even as you're battling that, drive your will to strengthen the Lord to say, no, I'm not going to eat, even though I want to eat so badly because, God, I want you more. God, I want your glory to be known more. God, I want your guidance in this more. God, I want your deliverance in this more. God, I want your blessing in this more. That, that is what fasting is for. Don't, don't set a high expectation during the fast. It will be a battle, but you wage the battle with endurance. Don't expect an immediate answer if you're seeking an answer from God through fasting or an intervention of God. It might happen we're in the middle of the fast. God brings that peace to know what to do. Or God brings an intervention in a situation. God can work that way. Praise God when He does. But often He doesn't. Often His ways are higher and above and beyond our ways. And the fast is not meant to be, again, a hunger strike where we say, God, you must do this, you must work. No, the fast is meant to lead us to humble submission before God and a renewed strength and faith in the Lord. And so don't, don't expect an immediate answer. God often doesn't answer like we think He should or when we think He should. A fifth recommendation, start with a brief fast. Don't start off and say, I'm going to fast for a week. <laughs> no, no, start off with something smaller, something more reasonable. Everything in your body will say, I need food, I want to eat. And your heart has to say, no, I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to pray to God through this. Adjust your daily activities as needed. If you've never fasted before and you work hard work, a manual labor, like realize if you're fasting that day, you're going to start feeling it at, at 3 o'clock or even at noon when you're, if you're working. And you're not going to be perhaps if you keep when you're working off of a, a high-calorie intake. And so adjust the daily activity as you can as is, as is needed. Seventh, continue to drink water to stay hydrated. A fast is a fast from food, not a fast from water. You can go uh, a long while without food. You can't go very long without water. Um, it's actually been proven, interestingly, much medical evidence that brief fasts are actually beneficial to your health. Uh, you don't do a fast because it's beneficial to your health. If that's all you're doing it for because you want to fit into the outfit for your uh, class reunion that's coming up, and that's why you're fasting. That's not a biblical fast. That's not a Christian fast. That's a dietary fast, but, but it's not a biblical fast. Biblical fasting, Christian fasting, has to have a spiritual focus, a spiritual purpose behind it. Um, and it is fasting from food, going back to the point here, and not, not water. Stay hydrated um, in the midst of the fast that you're going through. Consider whether you will include tea or coffee. How many of you are coffee drinkers? I myself fit this category. I've heard from many when they're fasting that, well, I haven't heard from many, but I read from many that when they're fasting, caffeine um, withdrawal symptoms can actually be worse than the pangs of hunger when you're getting the headache from a lack of caffeine when you're so accustomed to the caffeine. And so there are some who say, I'm going to fast from food, but I'm going to have a cup of coffee in the morning. It's between you and the Lord. Uh, you do what God leads you to do. Um, in that, but consider that as you may venture down the pathway of partaking of a fast. Um, you have to consider caffeine intake. Remember dietary concerns. If you've got any medical needs, medical conditions that would prohibit a fast, um, don't go against the wisdom of the doctor and say, well, I'm going to trust the Lord that He'll take care of my blood sugar. <laughs> Please, 
Okay, God gives us brains for a reason. He does give us faith, and He does call us to live by faith. But He does not say, take your brain and, and just remove it as you follow Me. No, God gives us doctors, and He gives us wisdom and medical advice. And, and if your doctor says your health would prohibit you from taking a fast for a day, don't do it. Monitor your sugar levels. Do what medicine, medical wisdom would declare you need to do. But, but maybe it's a partial fast. Do what you can do, and God will honor that if your heart is right before the Lord. But remember your medical dietary concerns. Don't ignore those. And lastly, don't focus on seeking and knowing God more during your time of fasting. The goal isn't just to go without food for that amount of time. That's all you do. You've not, you've not entered into what a biblical Christian fast is. All, all you've done is gone without food. Congratulations. No, a biblical fast has a goal of I'm going to truly seek God in a way that I really have never sought Him like before. Like in the, in the tension of suffering, of hunger, I'm, I'm going to let that push my heart to God in a way that the blessings of life and the feastings of life really aren't capable of doing. I want to close with a confession and a challenge. Confession being that I personally, I have not practiced the spiritual discipline of fasting as I believe God's Word would command of me to do so. It's not a common thing that we do in American Christianity. And it's something, again, that's foreign to a bunch of us. I know if it's foreign to me, it's probably very foreign to you. But as I've examined God's Word and studied it even afresh and then convinced again and afresh and anew, it's something we ought to do. It is something that ought to be a part of our Christian practice. It's something that ought to be a part of our seeking the Lord in prayer. And so the challenge is this week, I challenge you to pick a day and to do a daylight fast. Sunrise to sunset. Say, God, I'm, I'm not going to eat anything and from sunrise to sunset. And I'm going to seek you in prayer. And that doesn't mean you take the whole day off and you don't go to work. No, that means that you go to work, you do your normal living, you do the normal things you do, but in those moments where you would be eating, you spend that time focused upon the Lord and praying to the Lord. And you go about your business, bitching, and, and, and when those hunger pains strike, you let that, that hunger drive you again to the Lord and say, God, God, just be glorified. God, you are worthy. You were worth more to me than food itself. I'm, I'm showing you this in this fast. And I would ask if you don't have any burden you're praying for, pray for our church. Pray for the gospel to go from our church to so many people who are around us that need it. Pray for our upcoming year of ministry that lies ahead as we have our, our business meeting and all that God's doing and will continue. Pray that God's gospel would go forth to the ends of the world to be with our missionaries and our, our church planners. But spend a day letting your fast drive you in devotion and focus to the Lord in prayer. And I, I believe that it will be spiritually beneficial. I believe that it will be something that will grow and stretch you grow and stretch you in a good way, not a bad way. Grow and stretch us. And I know God promises as we fast before Him in secret, God will reward openly. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we do, Lord, first of all, confess that we are a sinful people always in need of Your grace. We are a people that are so blessed in our day and age. And we Lord, in a right way, enjoy your, your many blessings. We enjoy 
so much feasting, so much comfort, so much materialistic things. And, and Lord, we can enjoy those in a right way, giving You glory for them, knowing that every good gift comes down from You. But Lord, in our abundance, I think we have neglected to follow You in, in this practice of fasting. So Lord, I pray You would forgive us of that and that You would lead us in doing what we ought to do with this. Lord, for many who walked into this room who thought of fasting as something far out and strange and even taboo, I pray you'd help us to see the truth in your word that it is a, a ring to be a part of our life. Lord, you would lead us even this week to turn to you through fasting and to declare forth to you that you are worthy. Lord, you are worth more to us than even food itself. And we desire your glory to be exalted. We desire Christ's even above the longings of our, our body. Lord, lead us, I pray, guide us with your glory. If there be any here this morning that has never come to you in the name of Christ,